0: Hi, I'm Matt Bush, the News Director at Blue Ridge Public Radio. The following is a candidate forum we held in our studios on February 6th, with four candidates running for the Democratic nomination for North Carolina's 11th Congressional District, which encompasses all of Western North Carolina. The seat is currently held by Republican Mark Meadows, but in December he announced he would retire instead of seeking a fifth term in office. Eleven Republicans are running for their party's nomination to face the Democratic nominee in the fall. We have four Democratic Democrats. Democrats in this forum today, Gina Calais, Moe Davis, Michael O'Shea, and Philip Price. Steve Woodsmall is also running for the Democratic nomination, but could not attend this forum. Before we get to it, a reminder that early voting for the primary election in North Carolina runs until February 29th. Those who have not registered to vote yet will only be able to do so during the early voting period. You can find a full list of early voting locations and the hours they are open at our website bpr.org. The deadline to request an absentee by mail ballot is February 25th, and primary day itself is Tuesday, March 3rd. And remember, you do not need photo ID to vote in the primary election. Now, On with the show.
1: We will start with opening statements and we'll start on my left with Philip Price. So I'm Philip Price and I'm running for the U.S. House of Representatives to serve all of the people of Western North Carolina. Um, I've been a resident of Western North Carolina in the 11th District for over 36 years. I've lived in six counties of this district including Transylvania, Jackson, Macon, Buncombe, Haywood, and now I live in McDowell County. Um, Married 23 years faithfully, have three great kids, uh, raising up through the North Carolina public school system. I own a lumber recycling business that I've been building with my wife for over 20 years and we have been um, diverting materials from the landfills and, and uh, making things out of those materials. I'm running for Congress because um, I, never, I never dreamed that I would run for public office growing up, and so I haven't prepared myself for this over the, the years of growing up. It's just over the last three years or so, I felt that um, the working class has been left out of the equation. Um, the working people, are uh, have been denied a seat at the 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 table of governance in congress and I um, having operated my business for 20 years in the 17 counties in this district and having family and friends and customers and business associates uh, from all the parties um, spread throughout this district I feel that I am um, the perfect representative of the people of Western North Carolina and especially the working people of Western North Carolina. Um, so I bring a voice and a perspective um, that's not of the elitist uh, part of this, um, of this party. I, I bring a working class um, perspective, a voice to, uh, to the office. And that's why I'm running and that's why I feel like that I'll be the, uh, the best representative of this district, okay. Michael O'Shea.
2: Yeah. So my name is Michael O'Shea, and I'm running for the U.S. House. Uh, I was born at Mission Hospital in Asheville. I grew up in Mills River, and I attended Western Carolina University. My wife grew up in East Asheville, and she also attended Western Carolina University. So I have a lot of deep roots in this region. My father and mother were the minister and music director of the Unity Church in Mills River, and growing up in in a home with a progressive minister for a father who. Really focused on service work, I saw firsthand the kind of poverty that afflicts a rural region like this, and so that's something that I've carried with me um, through my entire life and is part of my desire to serve. I my top two issues are economic inequality, which at this point in history I believe healthcare is included in that, since your wealth determines your access, and climate change. Um, since this is radio, I'll go ahead and tell you I'm 32 years old, so I'm actually the first millennial to be on the Democratic ballot for a primary for this office. And uh, there's a saying. If you don't have a seat at the table, you're probably on the menu. We're living in the only decade we have to really fix climate change and avoid disastrous ramifications for future generations and ramifications I will have to live through personally. So I'm seeking to uh, represent my generation and really address this um, issue of climate change head on.
3: Okay. Mo Davis. I'm Mo Davis. I was born, raised, and educated in North Carolina. I, I grew up in Shelby in Cleveland County. We had a farm over in Rutherford County where we raised black Angus cows and horses. I uh, graduated from Appalachian State University and then the North Carolina Central University School of Law. At the age of 25, I joined the Air Force planning to uh, serve my country and I uh, thought I'd come back to North Carolina. I'd worked in state government for Rufus Edmiston before going to law school. but. I enjoyed my service in the, in the military, and I ended up staying for 25 years. I retired as a colonel. I was the chief prosecutor for the military commissions at Guantanamo Bay, the terrorism trials, and I resigned over the issue of torture. I worked uh, for the 111th Congress as a senior specialist in national security. I was the head of the largest division at the Congressional Research Service. Over 100 uh, people worked for me, and we advised eight committees in the House and the Senate. I taught law at Howard University School of Law for four years, and more recently I was a judge at the Department of Labor for about four and a half years. Uh, We bought property here about two years ago and started building a house a year ago, and my wife and I uh, sold our house in Northern Virginia and moved down here in May. I uh, didn't think I'd be running, because I was in the gerrymandered part of uh, the district that the Republicans deliberately carved out to try to cheat and to dilute the blue vote. In November, when the court intervened and uh, it became apparent that Asheville and Buncombe County would be put back together, uh, I was back in the 11th district. And there's an opportunity to win this time that we haven't had in over a decade. Uh, It's about a five to eight point Republican lean. And I think with my background uh, that I've got uh, the record And I've got the reach and the resources to win this race and make it competitive this time. I'm a disabled veteran. I get my health care at the VA. And I think I can reach those uh, voters out in the red districts and bring them on board. Because blue votes alone won't win it. We've got to have some Republican votes. So I think uh, my record uh, in government, uh, I encourage you to take a look at it. It's on my website. Please check it out. I'm running on my record, not from it. I'm Mo Davis, and I'd appreciate your vote. Okay, Gina Nicolias.
4: Hi, uh, my name is Gina Kalias, and I'm running to be the first Congresswoman from District 11. I'm an attorney and a businesswoman. I've been an administrative law judge for mandatory court operations ar- arbitrations. I live in Fairview in Buncombe County. I grew up in North Carolina, married my high school sweetheart in North Carolina, and reared my children in North Carolina, and I intend to grow old in North Carolina. I'm a pro-choice, pro-ERA, pro-civil rights, pro-education, pro-environmental woman. I've spoken at the Women's March and at union conferences. I have given the recent political science commencement address at the University of North Carolina which is my alma mater and have participated in panels at Duke University and George Washington University. I'm the only District 11 candidate who has consistently served her community, from leading an effort to building a playground where 2,000 people laid hands and volunteered to economic development and serving on the YMCA board and serving for the Chamber of Commerce. But my temperature rises when I see injustice in those in power acting like the rules and laws do not apply to them. No one is above the law. I saw this in 2016 when I worked with a group of volunteer attorneys investigating the Electoral College voting abuses here in North Carolina and across the country. That same year as a volunteer precinct attorney for North Carolina women attorneys for Hillary Clinton, I was shocked by the election and knew that change had to come from us, from regular people like you and me I believe that if you're sick you should be able to afford a doctor and you shouldn't have to choose between paying the rent or getting medicine I believe that if you do an honest days work you should get an honest days living wage and I believe in having clean water and air and passing on a stable planet to our children I believe we've made a promise to those getting Medicare and Social Security That they've paid in and that we must keep our promise. And we also need to build bridges with those we may not agree with to get things done. I have a history of finding common ground. I'm a Democratic, I I am a moderate Democrat. I am socially progressive, fiscally responsible, and if we're gonna win North Carolina 11, we have to find ways to move independents, unaffiliated, and disaffected Republicans to the light. The numbers say that's how we'll win, that's how Heath Schuler won, that's how I'll deliver North Carolina District 11 back to the blue, back to where the people, and back to where it belongs. I'm Gina Calais and my website is GinaKaliasForCongress.com.
0: All right, we'll move to the question and answer period now, and each candidate gets 90 seconds to respond to these questions. And we'll start with Michael O'Shea. What do you feel is the biggest issue facing the 11th congressional district?
2: Economic inequality, period. I mean, Southern Appalachia has always been afflicted by that and left behind by uh, people in DC. That's why my platform includes, uh, number one, Medicare for all. I think you know, bankruptcies from health care, the expensive premiums, that's certainly putting a dent in low-income people. I support a $15 living wage tied to inflation. I support higher teacher pay for educators. My wife's a first grade teacher in Asheville and um, my plan includes uh, federal spending for a minimum professional wage for teachers so that on day one these professionals are paid as professionals. Um, My plan includes free public college and trade schools so that we actually have a path for low income people to better their economic prospects. Um, Additionally, climate change is the second. That's more of a long-term thing, but within the Green New Deal, which I fully support, there's a lot of economic justice aspects for frontline communities, so I think that's integral. Um, Something that also affects NC-11 in our rural communities are um, broadband internet access. That's something that I would like to treat as a human right to ensure that everyone has that, no matter how Out in the boonies, you live. Um, I am also the only candidate who's talking about universal basic income and is starting the conversation on how AI and automation are going to change the modern economy.
3: Will Davis. I don't disagree about the policy issues that uh, Michael just talked about. I think we're all pretty much uh, close on those issues. Certainly, when you hear from the Republican candidates uh, tomorrow, you'll get a different perspective. So, any one of us running. Uh, in my view, is 100% better than any one of them because at a recent forum, they all said they're Trump supporters, Second Amendment supporters, pro-life supporters. So you know what you're going to get on the other side. I think the most important issue is, uh, and the reason I'm running, is uh, to bring integrity and accountability back to Capitol Hill. You saw what happened yesterday. Mitt Romney was the only person of character on the Republican side that stood up and and voted his conscience and did the right thing. Uh, I think there are cracks in our foundation. I think until we restore integrity and trust in government that uh, the policy issues are certainly critically important to this area, but I think saving our democracy. That's why I'm running. I've got uh, 30 years and over 30 years invested, either in uniform or in a suit on the hill or in a robe on the bench, and I've got just too much invested in democracy to watch it go down the drain now. So I'm uh, first and foremost is bringing responsibility, integrity, and accountability back to Washington. Okay,
4: sure. To answer your question, I think what North Carolina District 11 needs one is the internet. Two, I think we need to help people with the opioid epidemic and that goes into health care. So with the, with the internet, we have a lot of families in Western North Carolina that do not have internet. The children have the same homework across North Carolina generally and they can't do their homework. So how are they going to compete with the kids in Asheville? How are they going to compete with the kids in Charlotte and Raleigh? We need broadband internet and it is as important as electricity, and we need federal funding to help provide incentives to get us the internet. Um, also, we have a severe opioid epidemic in Western North Carolina, and part of solving that is two prongs. One is health care, and I believe in Medicare for all who want it. We need to allow people to keep their own private insurance, but we have to be able to lift everyone up and provide insurance. There are people who don't have insurance. And if you are a recovering addict and you're trying to get back into society, you need transportation and healthcare. You need to be able to get your kids to school, you need to be able to get to work, and you need to be able to have um, transportation just to get methadone or whatever medicine that you need. Thank you.
1: And Philip Price. The question was the most uh, urgent issue the, of the most important issue you feel in the 11th in district? In the 11th district. Well, when I started this race uh, three years ago, uh, running for Congress in the 2018 congressional race, um, healthcare was, was the largest, was the most important issue. Uh, and as I've traveled throughout the 17 counties and been listening to the voters, it uh, seems to be still the most important issue is healthcare. And it just breaks my heart when I go to a convenience store and there's a pickle jar on the counter with a little girl's face in it where her parents are trying to raise money to pay for her kidney transplant. It also breaks my heart when I see a commercial uh, for the wounded soldiers where they're still trying to ask people for money to pay for veterans uh who can't who aren't being taken care of by the by the VA or by our federal government. It's a travesty. We live in the most wealthy nation in the world and we have the worst health care system. Um, Medicare for all is going to produce thousands of jobs in Western North Carolina and millions of jobs across the nation. I'm a small business owner and I benefit from the Affordable Care Act. Um, but it's left gaps. There's people who don't make enough and then people who make too much. We have an expanded Medicaid. The real solution to providing health care to everyone, so everyone's covered, everyone's in the pool, is Medicare for all, and I believe that that's the right way to go.
0: Go to our next question, and then we'll start with Mo Davis on this one. The US has seen an extended economic boom over the last decade, but the federal deficit has also been rising at the same time. Why do you think that is and what will you as a congressman do about it?
3: Yeah, you know, when Mark Meadows first took office back during the Obama administration, he founded the Freedom Caucus and all he talked about was deficit and debt. Uh, since President Trump has been in office just a little over 3 years, the debt has increased by 3 and a quarter trillion dollars in what he calls, you know, the greatest economy ever. Uh, Mark Meadows has been on television a number of times. Apparently, he has one constituent, and that's Donald Trump. And he was bragging about the great Trump economy. Uh, It may be a great economy on Madison Avenue. It's not a great economy in Madison County or Macon County or uh, most of the counties in this district. There are 17 counties that make up uh, District 11. 15 of the 17 are above the poverty rate. The poverty rate's about 11% nationwide. In many of the counties here is 16 to 20 percent. Now our unemployment rate is about three and a half percent. So what that tells you is people are working, they're not earning a living. Additionally, because of our uh, Republican state legislature and their refusal to take the Medicaid expansion, all 17 counties, the uninsured rate is about 50 percent over the national average. So we have people that are working two and three jobs trying to make ends meet, but they're living in poverty. They don't have health care Our kids here rank in the bottom third of the country uh, in reading and math skill. Uh, When I grew up here, the schools were good. So the Republicans have tried to roll back the hands of time. And we need to get back to being a proud, progressive state where we take care of people. Gina Colias.
4: Our deficit and debt. Is irresponsible and it's irresponsible for our children and our grandchildren and there is a combination if you go back in history just a little while and you see where we were able to actually start getting a handle on it and have a surplus and that is controlling the defense spending and we also have to work on our tax bill the 2017 tax bill gave unlimited tax benefits and put corporations on corporate welfare. It gave benefits to the 1%. And I don't know about you, but I don't know the 1%. I know the people here in North Carolina because I live here in North Carolina and I've been here my whole life and we need help. People need help. So defense spending, it, does it really have to be $750 million? You know. One of the things that Senator Tillis did was he took $90 million that was supposed to go to our military families in Fayetteville and sent it to a border wall. My son, who, you know, he's 16 now, but even when he was 15, he's like, why can't they use drones? Why can't they use technology? So we can do that. And by a combination of taking the tax burden off the middle class fixing Social Security so that it doesn't have a $132,900 limit, letting people in the upper class pay their fair share, we can get a handle on what we're doing.
1: Philip Price. So our deficit um, and our debt is a result of the choices that our our leaders have made on how we spend our tax dollars. Um, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, um, which we are under now, the tax law we have now. Um, nobody asked how we were going to pay for that, um, but it is—it's about where we, what our values are. Um, and as was mentioned, our military budget is about 750 billion dollars a year. Almost half of that is spent overseas to sustain bases and shipping lanes that protect the oil around the world. And when we go to a renewable energy grid and we get off of oil, we could save close to half of our military budget, which, by the way, our military budget is as much as the next seven countries in the world, including China and Russia. We could be spending that money here on things that create tax revenue, which is expanding the tax base, which is by building jobs, investing in the middle class, growing the middle class, and bringing people out of poverty when we have more people that are contributing to the tax base then we have more revenue the way to fix the deficit and the debt is not by decreasing revenue into the federal budget It's by increasing revenue Michael O'Shea
2: yeah so I, I actually make the joke pretty frequently on the campaign trail that I'm a couple decades younger than everyone else on this slate so I'm gonna have to deal with the federal deficit for a lot longer um, we are penny-wise and pound-foolish in our spending right now. That's why I support things like Medicare for All, because it would save us over $600 billion annually in administrative costs. Something like universal income, which would really put a dent in poverty, would cost about $540 billion annually. Currently, the ramifications of childhood poverty are over a trillion. Um, so I think it's a matter of priorities, reducing the defense spending. I mean, the, the budget's there's always a budget when we want to give tax breaks to multinational corporations and billionaires, but for some reason when we're going to directly help the disenfranchised people in this country, all of a sudden we have to come up with a way to you know fix that. So that's um, most of my platform is totally trying to make us spend more efficiently and more efficiently in a way that helps the working class and the average American instead of the billionaire class.
0: Our next question will start with Gina Kalias. The 11th Congressional District is home to the National Centers for Environmental Information, the NCEI, which is located in Nashville, not too far from our studios. It reported last year was the hottest year on record in North Carolina. What measures do you support or would you support at the federal level to combat the effects of climate change?
4: Well, first of all, we have to take climate change very seriously. We have a crisis, and I applaud our young people like Greta Thornburg, who are draw who are who are creating um, an emphasis so that we are taking more of a serious look at it. It is quite serious. We just had um, fires in Gatlinburg. We had fires in Lake Lure. That is a direct result of climate change. So what do we need to do? we got to get back in the Paris Climate Agreement. That's essential. We have to work with our allies. We have to get the lobbyists out of the EPA. We need to protect our national parks. We don't need to privatize our national parks. We need to get incentives for wind and solar energy. That is crucial. And we have different municipalities and counties that have different rules. You can go to one place where you can actually get a reduction off your bill for having solar panels, and then you can go to another part of the county and you can't. That needs to change. We need to have federal incentives for that. And then we need to support green economy and green jobs. And how we do that are companies like New Rock. They're in Denver, North Carolina, in Lincoln County, and they can recycle coal ash on site. They also do other um, waste materials, but they can make an inert and they, they, they make a product that is that is very good the Catawba River keepers support them and I think we should support green the green jobs and green companies who are here in Western North Carolina
1: Philip Price so as I mentioned in the the previous answer um, our we're, we're spending so much money overseas protecting oil we've got to get off of oil one way that we can get off of oil and start reversing the effects of climate change by reducing uh, greenhouse gas is to make plastic out of plant matter instead of out of oil and out of um, natural gas the the way we do it now where it's not biodegradable. It floats around in our oceans for hundreds if not thousands of years. We could create thousands of jobs right here in the 11th district in every county by um, encouraging with federal tax dollars Uh, the manufacturing of plastic and other textiles out of hemp. Uh, We could grow hemp in all 17 counties of this district. But it, it is the third leg of my platform is the environment. We've got to invest in better solar technology, better wind technology, better Um, hydroelectric technology. Right now we have more jobs in the United States in the renewable energy field than we do in fossil fuel and North Carolina produces uh, second to California um, the highest uh, amount of solar power but we're building those solar uh, um, parts in China. We got to bring those jobs here to the United States and right here in North Carolina and get off of fossil fuels and move forward with green technologies. It'll it'll protect our planet and our children's future, but it'll also provide jobs. MICHAEL O'Shea.
2: Climate change has obviously been a defining issue for my generation and is a primary reason why I'm running right now. I support the Green New Deal, absolutely. Um, I love that it was written by someone three years younger than me, and the uh, youth-led movements like the Sunrise Movement have been great to see. My wife and I drove to Charlotte at the last climate strike to see Greta Thunberg speak. Um, My parents were very progressive, so in third grade I was writing essays on global warming and peak oil, I drive a hybrid, et et cetera. Um, I think my generation is, we grew up watching Captain Planet, and we now have a congress that seems not to understand science that we learned in elementary school from a cartoon. This is critical that we address this and treat this as the crisis that it is. So, the Green New Deal, which I think most of the you know congressional candidates right now support, I think is the only way to address this. Nothing short of that is going to work. Mo Davis.
3: Yeah, I agree. I think green technology is the uh, way out of poverty for Western North Carolina. We're number two in solar production. We ought to be the epicenter for uh, solar power. Uh, I I put my money where my mouth is. We're building a house right now and they just put the solar panels on last week. Those panels are made in America, but they're not made here. I would support uh, the federal tax credit. Uh, The Republicans are trying to eliminate it. It would decrease January 1st of this year. It will decrease again next year and eventually phase out. I would support expanding and extending those tax credits and target the high poverty counties, which are 15 of the 17 counties in this district. Uh, I think for those, we've got to win red votes. You know, some of those red voters, if we're going to win this district, I think you can appeal to them if you said, How would you like not to be paying a power bill every month? Because what you're paying for your power bill would pay for, to install solar with those federal tax credits and the Duke rebate this available right now. Uh, also on national security, if you said, look, if, uh, if you had solar pow- power on your house, not only would you not have a power bill, but we wouldn't have troops sitting over in the Middle East guarding pipelines if we were totally energy independent. So I think we can reach some of those voters that might not be on the blue team right now if we appeal to them on economics and national security grounds. And I think the uh, green technology and the Green New Deal is the path forward for North Carolina.
0: Okay. Our next question, and we will start with Philip Price on this one. Western North Carolina in particular has been hit hard by the opioid crisis. What as a legislator on the federal level can you do about this and about health care access in general?
1: Well, I'll go back to my number one um, leg of my platform, which is health care and expanding access to health care to everyone. Um, immediately, I think the state can fix that by expanding Medicaid, but on a federal level, um, Medicare for all would be a a, a huge solution for access to m- not only um, health care physical health care but mental health care. Um, it seems mental health care seems to be uh, left behind. I talked to someone yesterday who helps me in my business and has direct um, knowledge of how the system is failing. He and his family um, with the health care the the mental health care that's available to folks who have substance abuse problems. Um, you know, it, it's, the opioid problem goes deep. I mean, it goes into the medical industry and the folks that are um, writing illegal prescriptions and the pill farms and uh, so many things. Um, We've got to address it and come at it from different directions, but improving our economy and building up the middle class and bringing people out of poverty will have a lot to do with the depression that is one of the main causes for people to um, get deep into um, depression and um, substance abuse problems. But I think that uh, Medicare for all will be a big help with that and just generally improving the economy of Western North Carolina overall. Okay.
0: Michael O'Shea.
2: Yeah, one of my best friends from childhood actually suffered from opioid addiction. And, you know, this is something that I think everyone who grew up in southern Appalachia probably has some sort of firsthand knowledge of. I think Medicare for all, absolutely, um, is going to do a lot. We have to get the profit motive out of health care, period. As long as there's a profit motive to push pills, this is going to be an issue. Um, I think a lot of the, you know, these are desperation kinds of issues too. I think we have to alleviate poverty and work on making sure that we're taking care of everyone. So nobody's driven to that kind of a thing on some level. It's a symptom of mental health issues and, you know, your surroundings. Um, my platform also includes for ending the failed war on drugs. Uh, we have not seen it work clearly. But we have criminalized a lot of people who are suffering from uh, addiction issues. I think we need to stop treating it as a, you know, incarceration thing. We have more people locked up in this country than any other country in the world, and I believe one in five are for drug offenses. So I support legalizing marijuana and decriminalizing other um, drugs so that we can move towards a treatment-based philosophy.
0: Okay,
3: Mo Davis. I think a lot of the issues we've talked about are really like concentric circles that uh, all interconnect. I mean, it's about beginning with a good foundation of education uh, to where our kids are getting uh, that step into the next generation and uh, the, the high-tech jobs. Health care is certainly an issue. Uh, and I think you know, jobs, giving folks a future, something to look forward to uh, that they can aspire to. I think all those things interconnect. I also agree that we need to, uh, to legalize marijuana. There are too many uh, folks that are, are incarcerated and have criminal records uh, when they shouldn't. And I think uh, Michael mentioned uh, the profit motive in healthcare, we need to take the profit motive out of the criminal justice system. We have for profit prisons where filling up those beds means more money in the uh, corporate bank account. To me, that should be an inherently governmental function and we ought to treat uh, the opioid crisis and drug addiction as a health issue and not a criminal justice issue. So I think uh, there's no one single solution, it's a complicated problem, but you have to address all those different prongs if you really want to make a difference. And Gina Kalias.
4: The opioid epidemic touches all of us, and especially in Western North Carolina. It is, it, we all do have know a family member or a very close friend who has been affected. I had the opportunity yesterday to listen to a young man, and he is trying to dig himself out. Does he have felony? Yes, he has a felony history. Is he recovering? Yes. Does he want a job? Yes, his employer said he had to be able to drive a car. Well, on his car, he has to have a breathalyzer for 18 months, and that is true of people who've had DUIs for various reasons, and people don't realize that. So the insurance of the employer won't cover anyone who has to have a breathalyzer in their car. There are things that we need to do to get people back to work. We have income inequality. The gap is huge. We have to redistribute and make the 1% and pay their fair share. We have to have transportation, as I mentioned earlier, these people who are recovering with the opioid epidemic have to be able to get to work. And a lot of them have lost their driver's licenses. And if we want to end the cycle, we have to help them with that. And we have to help with the health care. As I mentioned before, they have to have health care. We need to help them. And we can. And we've got to get fentanyl off the streets. Okay.
0: We'll go to our next question, and we will start with Michael O'Shea, and that is, do you support any changes around gun laws in the United States, and if so, what would they be?
2: Absolutely. Um, I, I realized the other day that when Columbine happened, I was 12 years old. It's been kind of a defining issue for our generation. And since then, we've watched the ban on assault weapons expire. The problem's gotten worse. My wife teaches first grade. They have to do drills, and I can assure you that anyone who gets out of elementary school is terrified of school shootings. I support the common sense gun laws and registration laws, red flag laws that a majority of Americans want, and I support limiting access to bump stocks, high capacity magazines, and assault style weapons. You know, in terms of future sales, I think you know, nobody here. You know, I'm, I'm a gun owner. This isn't an issue of taking away guns, it's a public health issue. Nobody thinks that we're gonna get all guns off the streets and we're gonna solve the issue, but if we can reduce it by just a few percent with some common sense, you know, rational laws, then those are real lives that we're saving and that's maybe a little less terror in a fifth grader.
3: Okay, Mo Davis. Yeah. Jim Davis, who's one of the Republican candidates, has an ad on television now where it's him standing with a nine millimeter pistol and a stack of cheeseburgers. And he said, the Democrats are going to come take your gun and your cheeseburgers away, and I'm going to fight to defend them. I'm a gun-owning Democrat with a grill. So uh, you know, they're lying to you about uh, what we're going to do. I grew up hunting. I'm a gun owner. What I support, again, we've got a perfect world, uh, assault weapons would only be in the hands of the military, but we don't live in a perfect world, and we've got to do something. You know, 3,000 people died on 9-11, we gave up a lot of civil rights as a result of that to prevent another tragedy. Since then, 200 times that number have been killed by gunshot, and we haven't done anything. What I would support is you have a constitutional right to a pistol, a rifle, or a shotgun with a strict background check and red flag laws. If you want something above that, I would support a federal law that implements essentially the North Carolina. concealed carry permit requirements which you pay a fee you file an application you have a mental health check a criminal record check you pay to take an eight-hour gun safety class you got to pass the test and then you sign saying if you're arrested for an act of violence or a mental health issue that it's reported That's not the perfect answer, but it'll keep assault weapons out of the hands of some people that shouldn't have them. I would support a buyback program and also strict liability. If you're a gun owner and your gun is stolen and used in an act of violence and it wasn't properly stored and secured, you should be strictly liable for the consequences. Gina Calais.
4: Gun safety is important to all families. And as a mother, I've had one of my daughters had to hide at Chapel Hill with her group that they were in just at orientation because of an armed robbery that was going on on campus. And then later they were all told to sequester in place and hide and she called me while they were hiding under a desk in a classroom and I talked to her on the phone for 15 minutes while they were waiting for an active shooter to be you know to to get the all clear sign. That's scary for any parent. I helped the students in Hickory organize for their March for Our Lives and marched with them. I've met parents at Parkland. This is a a public health crisis, it's a safety crisis, and it's a fear of parents and we need to do something about it. So as a gun owner I do have a concealed carry and I did submit to background checks and we do need to have red flag laws and we do need to close the gun show loopholes. Ninety-eight percent of all gun owners agree that we need to have background checks. So I have done that. And because I live here in North Carolina, I have done what North Carolina has asked me to do. And I think that more people are willing to do that.
1: Philip Price. So I hold a lifetime sportsman's license, and I have a deer rifle and a shotgun as well. Um, But... I believe uh, that uh, over 80 percent of Americans agree that we should have some sort of sensible um, legislation that reduces gun violence, and that would include universal background checks that go across state lines, um, closing loopholes of purchasing guns at um, gun shows. Um, I believe that since we have to have a registration to purchase a car and to buy or sell a car to someone else, and the registration of that car with a VIN number of that automobile transfers from owner to owner, that it's a, it's not an infringement on the Second Amendment to require the same thing with a with a with a gun. If you purchase a gun, perhaps you should have a registration that attaches the VIN number or the the not the VIN number. It's not a vehicle, but the the number on that uh, weapon. Um, with a registration. You sell that weapon to uh, another owner. That They have to re-register that weapon. That way we can track that weapon and any uh, violent crime that's committed with that weapon. I think we need to look at uh, people who have violent mental illness history. We should look at people who've had uh, Uh, animal cruelty history, spousal abuse, we should just be paying attention. We should have more counselors in schools so that we have more face-to-face time with students and counselors so that we can find the problems before they rear their heads into horrible gun violence.
0: Our next question, we will start with Mo Davis, and that is, what do you feel is the biggest infrastructure need for North Carolina's 11th Congressional District?
3: Well, from the federal level, you know, there seems to be bipartisan support and agreement that we need infrastructure spending. What I would try to do is target that on the high-poverty counties and focus on education. So use that to build schools and repair schools and also to bring in broadband. A nationwide broadband, and over 90% of Americans have access to, to high-speed broadband. In many of the western counties, it's under 60%. I think, again, a lot of those conservative, you know, the old Reagan Republicans that live in the rural counties, I think uh, would support us on spending on supporting education and broadband. They're doing fundraisers to support their schools. You know, kids in out in the western counties, some uh, less than $500 a year are spent per pupil. We're in like Hillsborough County, Chapel Hill is over 10000 So. Uh, they also have rental houses out there and if people come up from Atlanta, they expect to be connected. And if your rental house out in uh, the mountains doesn't have uh, broadband access, they're going to go somewhere else. So I think there's support for it. But uh, in order to compete economically, you know, folks, a lot of folks telework. They work for companies that are all over the country, all over the world and they do it from home, They're folks with health issues. I met a couple in Weaverville that used to live out in one of the western counties, and the wife had a medical condition that requires monitoring, and they didn't have uh, reliable broadband, so they moved here. So I would focus on uh, education with schools and with broadband access in those rural counties where there's a high poverty rate. Okay. Gina Nicolias.
4: Will you repeat the question? the Sure. What
0: is the biggest? What do you feel is the biggest infrastructure need for North Carolina's 11th congressional district?
4: Okay. Thank you. Yes. I, I think what um, what I've done on my platform has said build bridges and bridge differences. So in building bridges, we need infrastructure. We need to have federal support for that. And I've already mentioned the need for internet and how I think that it's as important now as electricity. And we're giving companies monopolies for electricity. They need to be helping provide with our Internet. One of the interesting things is that in Chattanooga, they applied for federal recovery money that came after the 2008 um, economic crash. And so what they had done is they've given Internet to every person. So why can't we do that in Western North Carolina? And I've already mentioned the needs of Internet and that kids need it for education, that parents need it to work from home, As a, you know, I'm an attorney licensed in North and South Carolina. I hold a real estate license in North Carolina and South Carolina. And what people need is to be able to market their home and they can't market it and they reduce value if they don't have the Internet. So building bridges requires that. It also requires having rural transportation that's dependable. We have trains. We have other rails that are available um, Amtrak is trying to do de- Amtrak says Asheville is its number one requested destination that it doesn 't have passenger service to, so there are things that we can do, and we 've got to connect our people here
1: thank you philip price so infrastructure investment equates to jobs good paying jobs and we do have schools and libraries that are crumbling and mold in our schools where our children are being educated, and we need to invest federal dollars into those, into rebuilding our schools, and our federal buildings. Um, and when we do that, we need to use re—we need to use as many green building materials as possible, recycled materials if possible. Um, our park system. has been neglected and in Western North Carolina our tourism is very reliant on our park system. We have walkways and bridges and signage and all parking areas in in our parks in Western North Carolina that are crumbling. We need to address that with federal dollars that'll create jobs. But the internet is so important. It should be regulated like a utility. Every household and business that has electricity should have access to affordable broadband high-speed internet. I operate a small business out in a rural area and without the internet I wouldn't have that business and I wouldn't be able to employ people. People will be able to start small businesses in every nook and cranny and holler of Western North Carolina. You could start a business in your home and when people start businesses that means job growth. Our kids need the internet to do their work. The elderly and people on health care that are in bed at home, they need access to their health care providers. So I would uh, cooperate with Joe Sam Queen and his efforts to get broadband internet spread throughout Western North Carolina as your elected congressman. Michael O'Shea.
2: Yeah, broadband internet is obviously huge. Cell phone service is huge around here, too. When I was in school at Western Carolina University out in Jackson County, I'd uh, walk to the very front of my front yard to send a text. And since I didn't have cell phone service, I had to buy a landline from the same company that wouldn't cover my house. So we have monopolies in these rural Counties, you know, let's be real, it's not cost effective. So we need federal legislation to make sure these things are treated as rights and we're not leaving people behind. Um, I'm going to include affordable housing as infrastructure. I think it's an issue if the working class people who are, you know, (laughs) creating the economy, and, and, you know, especially in Asheville, service industry places, if they can't afford to live in the county, that's a huge issue. I was talking to somebody um, a couple weeks ago who does large scale developments um, for affordable housing, and he said there's just not enough federal dollars being put into it. We also have issues like Asheville where the land cost has gone up so much and that's not calculated as a basis for these kinds of you know programs. And we need to have municipal governments stay ahead of these issues and really pay attention to them and invest in that. Um, so I think that's huge.
0: We're going to go down to our final question before uh, closing statements. And our final question, we'll go to uh, Gina Kalias to start. And that is, what changes, if any, do you want to see in federal immigration policy?
4: We need a smooth path to citizenship. Um, there are people who are being sent back away from the United States who are denied asylum and who are being murdered when they get back. There are people and games being played at our southern border where there's where asylum seekers could go in and they're saying no they can't come in here they've got to go to another gate miles and miles away when these people may be walking they don't have anything there's women and children who have been raped and robbed because they can't get from one gate to another we have a computer system for our immigration system that is antiquated one of my best friends immigrated to the United States and is now a US citizen but it took she and her husband uh, 18 years to get their green card that's not okay and to get their citizenship. We are better than this. My grandfather came to the United States through Ellis Island when he was 18 years old, came from Italy. And we need to allow people to come here. And they're, they're not scary. And we can do background checks. And we can work it out. But we need a smooth path to citizenship. And we need to cut the fear mongering.
1: Philip Price. So we need more judges at the border to process asylum claims um, so that we can cut these lines down. We need to have more people employed at the border to process people into the country. The bit, one of the big problems we have with immigration and undocumented workers is the people who hire the undocumented workers uh, including the guy in the White House. Um, when we have undocumented workers hired by um, employers, they're being treated more or less as slaves in many conditions. So they're, they're paying lower wages. The, the undocumented workers are not protected by the same uh, labor laws that American workers are protected by. So it's not the immigrants that are stealing people's jobs. It's the employers that are giving the jobs away to the immigrants. Um, We are a nation of immigrants, Um, unless you're Native American, you are are a descendant of an immigrant, whether it was the last generation or five generations away. Our country is built on immigration, um, literally built by immigrants. And we need to embrace our immigrants and deal with it in a compassionate, empathetic way and view immigration through a lens of love and acceptance, and not one of hatred and judgment.
0: Michael O'Shea. Yeah,
2: you're absolutely right. My family came to uh, Southern Appalachia before the Revolutionary War, and we are still immigrants. It doesn't really matter how long ago unless you're Native American. That's that, we need to remember that. We need to protect DACA recipients. Um, it's crazy that we're trying to send people back who don't remember their home countries, and you're right. At, An article just came out about Ecuador, or something, some disturbing number, I can't remember offhand, about how many of the people we sent back um, died, were killed. Um, We need to stop talking about it as migrants and asylum seekers. These people are asylum seekers who are looking for a better life, and I think that's frankly the American dream. Um, I'm the only one, I think, in this slate who's been willing to go so far as to call for the abolition of ICE. It was created post 9/11, and I we have legal, law enforcement methods already to deal with people who are engaging in criminal behavior. And the only thing that they've been doing to my, in my belief, is creating a lot of terror in immigrant communities um, where they don't want to go to the police. And so that lets you know employers exploit them. It you know lets domestic abuse happen in these kinds of communities. We need to take care of them and remember that um, there aren't too many. Um, Biblical teachings talking about keeping people out of your borders, but they're a lot about loving your neighbor.
3: Mo Davis, yeah, I think we're all in pretty much agreement on this. That uh, I, I agree that the, the system focuses on the powerless rather than the powerful. You know, if the employers like Donald Trump that hire and exploit uh, undocumented workers, if they were the ones going to prison rather than the powerless, uh, I think this problem uh, would, the economic incentive would dry up pretty quick. But instead, we focus on the powerless. I mean, I agree, I have friends that are immigration judges and they're overwhelmed. There are people legitimately coming to the border because they're fleeing persecution and and poverty, and they're entitled to a prompt and fair hearing to determine their asylum status. I was pleased to see the other day that uh, Trump's vanity wall, a good stiffed wind, blew it over. Uh, That's a waste of money. It's, again, fear-mongering. And to me, I agree, DACA. We've got kids that really have only known growing up in America, and to send them back to a country they've never known and a culture they've never known is just uh, that wasn't in the red letters in the Bible that uh, I grew up with. And I find it particularly offensive that we have veterans that went to Iraq and Afghanistan and fought for this country and then got deported when they got back here. So uh, I think we're all in agreement that our immigration policy needs to be fixed and it needs to be more fair and more focused on uh, the America that we ought to be rather than the one we've become.
0: Okay. Now we're going to go to closing statements, and each candidate will have one minute to give a closing statement uh, this afternoon. Just a reminder, everyone, we're here in the Democratic primary today. Remember to uh, check our Facebook page again tomorrow at 10 a.m. and at noon when we will have uh, the Republican candidates who are running for their party's nomination in the 11th district. Now on to closing statements, and we will begin with Philip Price.
1: So I'm Philip Price and I'm I'm running for this office. I started running for Congress three years ago in the 2018 congressional uh, race. I won with an incredible volunteer effort of grassroots networking. I won 14 out of the 16 counties in the 2018 primary and then went on to take on Mark Meadows in the general election in a horribly gerrymandered map district and I actually beat Mark Meadows in Buncombe County by nine points in the gerrymandered district. Now that we have all of Buncombe County in the 11th district, I have a much greater chance of winning this entire race. Um, I am, as I said in my opening statement, um, I am the working class candidate. I'm a working class progressive and I am in this fight to take the voices of dishwashers and nurses and teachers and carpenters and all the people who work hard with their hands, who've been left out of, go- out of the government's voice, take that voice to Washington. And I'm Philip Price, and I'm asking for the votes of the 11th District. Okay. Michael O'Shea.
2: Yeah, so my name is Michael O'Shea, and I'm running to be a voice for the working class as well, um, as well as millennials. We have grown up an economy that's not working for us. We've watched Washington ignore issues that should have been fixed by now. I've been running as a progressive Democrat. And to me, progress doesn't mean left or right. It means moving forward. And I think if we look historically, we see that the path to progress has always been paved with bold action. Everything that's worked, Social Security, Medicare for over 65, at first they seemed like radical proposals. Because things that are new always are untested. The problems of the future won't be solved with old ways of thinking, and I think I'd bring a fresh perspective and a willingness to dream bigger. I have a vision for a future in which we've overcome climate change and economic inequality, and I hope you'll consider passing the torch and dreaming bigger with me.
3: Okay. Mo Davis. Well, thank you. I'm running as a progressive patriot, because I think those two terms are not mutually exclusive, d- despite the way the other side tries to portray it. And I think it's going to take... Uh, that background to reach those red voters that we've got to have if we want to win this district. I've got a national following, and uh, I think we all agree we want to get money out of politics, but the reality is right now that you've got to have money to get into politics to get the money out. So I'm supported. I've got endorsements from the Sierra Club, from the regional AFL-CIO, from two members of the Obama uh, administration, Ambassador Rich Verma and Secretary Chris Liu as well as uh, Obama and Chief Justice Roberts, uh, Harvard Law Professor Lawrence Tribe. Locally, I've got progressives behind me like Gordon Smith, who served on the city council, and uh, Emmett Carney, who was head of the Democratic Party. And I've got current Democratic candidates like David Wheeler, who's running in the northern uh, counties for the Senate, and Ed Halliburton, who's running to represent uh, Rutherford County in the House. Those people are supporting me because they know me, they know my record, and they know that I have the ability to win this seat and turn this district blue again. So I'm Mo Davis. I need your support. Okay. And Gina Calias.
4: Yes, I'm Gina colias Thank you for the opportunity to speak today. I am being endorsed by a two-star general, Major General Rick Devereaux, here in Asheville. He is retired Air Force, and he's chosen. To help me, I am good for wages, not cages. I will work for health care, not billionaires. Social security, not privatized uncertainty. I'm for clean water, clear skies, and not to deny, disparage, or downright lie. No one is above the law. I'm a moderate Democrat. I'm socially progressive and fiscally responsible. And if we're gonna win North Carolina 11, we have to find ways to move independent, unaffiliated, and disaffected Republicans to the light. That's the numbers that say how will win, that's how I will win and that's how we will deliver North Carolina 11 back to the people back to the blue, back where it belongs I'm Gina Kalias and I would appreciate your vote
0: You've been listening to a candidate forum with four Democrats seeking their party's nomination in North Carolina's 11th Congressional District, which encompasses all of Western North Carolina. Early voting concludes on February 29th for the primary, and those who have not yet registered to vote can only vote during the early voting period. For a full list of early voting sites and the hours they are open in Western North Carolina, use our early voting guide at bpr.org. The deadline to request an absentee by mail ballot is February 25th, and primary day itself is Tuesday, March 3rd. And remember, you do not need photo ID to vote in the primary election. I'm Matt Bush, and I thank you for listening.